Hey, it's Zach, and I need to interrupt a moment because we are doing an incredibly exciting thing that requires your participation. Once a month, we will be featuring a teacher challenge on an episode and attempting to tackle the challenge between the four of us on the show. We want to hear from you about the challenges you might be facing in your classroom this year. Every teacher featured will receive a gift card, and at the end of the school year, we will draw a name randomly from all those who shared to award a $100 gift card. To share a challenge and earn a chance to win, simply call our number and leave a message. That number is 616-965-6606. Again, 616-965-6606. This is Transforming Learning. Hey, welcome back to Transforming Learning. Here we are, just coming off the Thanksgiving weekend. Hope you had a great experience. And I'm Zach, here again with Pete, talking about KJ Dell Antonia, author of How to Be a Happier Parent. And so for episode 61, Pete and KJ were discussing parenting and happiness, but uh, it, it's a little bit more than that. Pete, back us up. How did you connect with KJ Del Antonio? Yeah, thanks, Zach. So kind of an interesting story, I guess. I uh, get the Time Magazine at my house, the actual magazine. I know that's kind of retro. On paper. <laughs> that's right. And uh, KJ wrote... Uh, a kind of a guest article. She was a guest author of an article talking about how to raise optimistic kids in pessimistic times. You know, really neat title. Really enjoyed what she had to say in the article. And at the end, it, it has this little author note. K.J. Antonia is the author of the book, How to Be a Happier Parent. So I bought the book. Um, that's all you have to do, apparently, to get Pete to buy a book is <laughs> write an article in Time Magazine. Well, I read the book, It was and it was phenomenal, and just a really practical, encouraging guide for parents and how to raise optimistic children, like, like her Time Magazine article, but also how to be happier themselves. And it, and it hit me that there's so many connections between that message for parents and for teachers. And so yes. I thought it'd be great if we could get her on the podcast. Now, listeners don't know, there's lots of people I'd love to get on the podcast that that we haven't yet because they either haven't responded to me or or something like that. But I reached out to, to KJ on Twitter and she got back to me almost right away. And um, she's a, a very well-known author and I'll get into that in a moment, but it was really neat to connect with her that way and for her to be willing to, um, to come on the podcast. Yeah, definitely. So then, Pete, what's, uh, what's the nature of the conversation? How, how did that manifest? Yeah, Zach, so we actually go through her 10 mantras, and this is how she crafts her, her book, actually. There's 10 mantras for happier parents. Um, and so we, we, we kind of um, structure our conversation around that. But maybe before we, we get um, there, it might be helpful if I tell our listeners a little bit about her. So b- before writing this book, she was the editor of the Motherload blog for the New York Times for five years. She also is a co-host of the podcast Hashtag Am Writing. And it's just a really, she's, you know, she speaks all over the place. Um, she obviously blogs and still writes uh, on these kind of guest articles. But just a really neat person, fun to talk to. And um, I hope our listeners get a lot out of this. One more note before we throw it over to the, the actual episode 
Uh, we, we do a, a, intentionally, KJ and I don't make connections over to the field of, of teaching. I think there's some obvious ones. I think people will be able to do that on their own. And I really just wanted to focus on her expertise and her work, which is happiness and parenting and kind of the, the overlap between those two topics. So we're kind of leaving it up to the listener to make some of those connections to their classroom and their school. Absolutely, Pete. And if it takes a village to raise a child, then certainly the lessons a parent learns are not far and above different than the lessons a teacher learns. So we hope you enjoy Pete and KJ Dell Antonio. I am here with KJ Dell Antonia. KJ, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. This is great. So KJ, I, I came across your work actually in Time Magazine, which I get weekly, and really loved uh, that article and went out and looked you up, followed you on Twitter, bought your book, um, and I, I really want to get into your book. Uh, the book is How to Be a Happier Parent, Raising a Family, Having a Life, and Loving Almost Every Minute. But before we get into some of the nuts and bolts, would you do us a favor and kind of um, Tell us, how did you come to do what you do? Sure. Um, so, so, how far back shall I go? I, I actually came to, so I, I was a writer and a journalist with the New York Times. I ran their Motherload column, which was a, a blog slash family section. I did a lot of the writing and also I did, well, I did, I did all the editing, a lot of the writing, and the goal of the motherload was to be both a place for readers to share personal stories or not, you know, for there to be personal essays, but also to look at politics and society and culture. So it tended, from my perspective, it was rarely a personal writing thing. It was more about, you know, what, how do we how do we as parents respond to cultural expectations? How do the policy choices of the government affect what the choices that we make and the options that we have? And as I was, you know, I started doing that in 2011 and I, I have four kids and at the time they would have been, you know, seven, eight, nine and 11 probably, or maybe a little tiny bit older. And I, this is a full-time job and my husband does a full-time job. And although they're flexible, we are, you know, we're sort of losing our mind with all the things that we're doing. It's just like this sort of constant run. And I'm getting that same message as an editor. All the essays that I'm getting are, you know, are just we're running and everything is hard and the minivan is hard and the sippy cups are hard and the soccer is hard. And then this research all sort of starts to drop about the same moment where, you know, we tell social scientists that we would rather do laundry than be with our kids. Uh, we're running what some researchers called the rug rat race. There are articles that say things like, you know, how having children robs parents of all joy, which is, it was just, and I'm, I'm sort of feeling that for me, like I'm, I'm feeling it happening and I'm seeing it in, in my work. And I just kept thinking, why, why does this, suck so much? Why does this have to feel so hard, right? So that's what I wanted to do was look at, like, given where we are as a society, I mean, we can, we can and should try to change how our country supports families. But realistically, that's not going to help me. 
<laughs> at this point, you know, I, I'm going to argue for that and it's going to take years and it's, hopefully it'll help my kids and their kids. But what can we as parents do in this moment that we live in with the cards that we've been dealt to enjoy this more? Because none of us came into this going, I know what I'd like. I'd like to spend 18 to 25 years feeling like I'm slogging along. And and the book is great. Uh, Thank you. I, I, can I just say it's it's great. Uh, my wife and I talk about it. it. I've already kind of changed some of the things that I do as a parent because of it. You know, what I like the most about it, I think, KJ, was the, the tone that comes through throughout the book. First of all, it's funny um, it, and probably because it's so true. A lot of the little stories um, ring so true and they're funny. <laughs> um, Someone the asked me did you really take the wrong kid to the dentist? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. yeah. This is <laughs> well, you know, I just wrote dentist on the calendar and there are four of them. It could have been anyone. Yeah. No, I, I love the I love the part. I think it's early in the book. KJ, you talk about, you know, the kids don't have a sense of time and they see the plastic sheep on the kitchen floor and they know it needs to be with their flock and they think yeah. their flock is under the bed or maybe in the laundry room. Um, and yeah, that happens to me about once a week. So, um, with, uh, with superhero action figures actually, but I, uh, the, the tone that you set in the book, which is very much a, Hey, I'm just trying to figure this stuff out too, made it really accessible for me, even though quite honestly, I think you have far more figured out than I do. <laughs> it was, it was a great, it was a great tone. Um, there was no kind of preachiness about it. It was just, hey, this is real. And that really came through. So I commend you for that. Well, one of the things I, I like to tell people when I talk, talk to them about the book is, okay, so, you know, then I spent some time trying to figure out like how I was going to structure a book about making this more fun and ultimately came to the idea of, you know, what our pain spots were as parents. And of course, I made that list the way anyone would, would, which was to make a list of the things that I hated and wanted someone to help me solve. And then I reached out and I had other people contribute. And what I've found rock solid is that all of us have a couple of those down. Like, you know, you should just pat yourself on the back because mealtimes work for you or mornings aren't that bad or your siblings are getting along at the moment. And, you know, read that section and then enjoy the fact that it's not your problem and then deal with the others. But don't like only focus on the things that are not going great because for most of us, well, first of all, we live in a really great modern world with a lot of, you know, things are pretty good. And when we recognize that and, and sort of remind ourselves of it, it feels better. But even more importantly, there's something all of us is doing right. And there's something that we all do that's super cool. And to find that and just feel it is, is really important. Definitely. So let's get into the book a bit. Before we do, I just want to make a note for our listeners. You know, this is a, a, a book about how to be a happier parent. And our audience is, you know, generally educators, most of which I'm sure are parents themselves. But I don't, I don't want to necessarily overtly connect lessons that you're going to talk about to the world of teaching. I, I kind of want to let people do that on their own or just enjoy it from a parenting perspective. So I just yeah. want to make that note. Um, you have 10 mantras for happier parents. And mm -hmm. you, th there's a section early in the book that kind of um, explains those a little bit, but then they're sprinkled about the book. And so I thought that might be a good way for us to kind of track through your work is to talk about as many of those as we get to today. 
And so let's just start with the first one you list, which is what you want now isn't always what you want later. Could you tell us a, a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah. That is one of my favorites. So, so here's, there's a funny dichotomy around writing a book about how to be a happier parent. And I honestly probably figured this out more in talking about the book than in writing about it, because um, being a happy, so the way that academics measure happiness in parents is to measure, um, is to ask parents if they feel like they're pretty good. One of the ways, do you feel like you're pretty good at this thing? So, it's not parents who feel like they're pretty good at it tend to be happier. So I end up spending a lot of time talking about like how we feel about what we're doing as parents, even though I'm not, um, I don't, I don't even know that there is such a thing about as a parenting expert. So it's not like there is a right way to go about mornings, but the important thing is to feel good about how you're going about mornings. And that's, that's a long way of getting to what you want now is not always what you want later, because honestly, what you want now might make you immediately happier. So for example, it would frequently make me immediately happier to just go clear the dishes off the table myself. I would be way faster. I've, I, I don't really mind doing it anymore, you know, whatever. But in the long run, what I want are kids who clear their dishes off the table, both for this, my sake and for the sake of their future roommates and partners and people whose houses they dine at. So I will actually feel better about myself, like sort of happier, overall as a parent if i go for that long that long distance goal of kids who do chores or kids who do so you might feel happier if your kid has a sheet of addition problems that are you know tidily and accurately solved and tucked into their backpack and ready to go tomorrow you can achieve that you could just write the answers i mean you know you you can do that but every teacher listening knows that that is not the goal of homework. And when parents do that, and a lot of them do, they're messing with the long-term goal of homework, which is that the kid be able to do work independently without anyone looking over their shoulder and then get that work back to the place where it's supposed to go in a timely manner. And KJ, it makes me think of, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know that kind of ability to think more long-term is really kind of uniquely adult. Uh, yes. Know, Kids don't really have the executive function to be able to do that. And so, of course, they're going to want to do what makes them most happy <laughs> at that time. Also and, true. And, that, and that's maybe my instinct, too, is, oh, okay, let's just get this out of the way. But I, as the parent, need to step in and, and think more long term because they can't. The next mantra is there is nothing wrong. And I was, I was interested, actually, how you kind of came to this one. You talked about reading a book that was kind of about Buddhism. Very Buddhist. Yeah. So the, I mean, I'm, I'm not getting, I am not Buddhist and I don't know tons about it as a, as a uh, philosophy, but one of the tenets of it is this idea that there is nothing wrong. All things are happening as they should happen. So whatever is in any given moment is right, no matter how terrible it is. And I, I don't know that I can quite stretch to those extremes. I mean, when you're dealing with a moment that's truly awful, I don't think you need to sit here going. So it wasn't that. But for the most part, for us as parents, there is nothing wrong. Um, if if you're you know within the sound of my voice, you probably have a roof over your head and decent, you know, 
maybe every day is not, you know, it's not like you're slapping steak on the table table constantly, but we have, you know, we have it pretty nice. And people really push back here because they want to say, but, but, but things could go wrong. Like, you know, at any moment. And that's, that is an evil trick of our brains. Our brains want us to be constantly on the alert for the bad stuff. And they want to focus on the bad stuff. And if you can remind yourself that most of the time you're not living in that bad, I mean, most of the time you haven't just gotten the horrible phone call. Most of the time, you know, the, the, the kids are healthy and you are healthy and your people, you know, that's, we're, we're so, we're so lucky and everybody wants to knock wood at that point, but to actually be able to just say, you know, there is nothing wrong right now. Things are good. And uh, the neuroscientist that I talked to said, you sort of look up at the horizon because that gives you this lovely, it actually gives your brain a change in perspective yeah. and remind yourself. And I, this is not, this is not me saying, please be grateful for every moment. It's, this is not keep a gratitude journal. It's nothing like that. It's just, you know, I'm looking at you right now. Looks to me like overall, there's nothing wrong. And, you know, you're looking at me and overall, there's nothing wrong. And for us to just embrace that is so good for our brains. It really, it's yeah. just, and it's so good for our happiness. Yeah, you talk a lot about perspective in the book and kind of just changing that narrative in our mind. You know, we, yeah. have, the, we have the choice to to have the the negative fearful narrative and that's going to happen obviously at times but we also have the choice to to look out on the horizon like you say and realize that nothing's wrong yeah another mantra i love is you don't have to go in there <laughs> this is a favorite of mine at the moment yeah. you talk about that sure so i i think this is over this is like useful in life a lot of these are, are useful in life um so you don't have to go in there came about because one of our kids was especially prone to tantrums as a kid and she would go into her closet to do it and we would sort of stand outside going, are you going in there i'm not going in there um and sometimes physically you know we needed to go in there but what we we realized and sort of what it came to mean is you don't have to emotionally go in there with that child you and in fact, you shouldn't emotionally go in there with that child. So if the child can be having the tantrum or the upset or the, you know, whatever is going on and you can maintain your own emotional equilibrium, it's so much easier to to deal with the child. It doesn't give the child anything to, to bounce back against. I have at the moment um, a 13-year-old daughter and a 14-year-old daughter. And one of them especially just she'll she'll just sort of work herself up into this frenzy of everything has got you know, everything is bad and i hate everything and i hate everyone and i hate school and i hate you and i hate and it's all and if you respond to her with that same level of emotion whether it's don't talk to me like that or you don't really hate me you've hurt me anything that's at that i'm raising my hands like up above my head anything that's at that level up she goes and then up you go and then up she goes and then up you go and, you know, before you know it, you're, you're both at a point you can't climb down off of. But if you don't do anything, she just kind of romps right over you. And then it all just sort of peters out. It's like there's nothing. I think I, I feel like I'm missing some great metaphor here that at some point I'm going to find. It's like there's just nothing for her to pile against. Yeah. And it's so much easier for, I mean, for me because I can get really upset. And then I don't. Oh, another of my kids. 
had this gift of being able to have like a huge tantrum exactly like that. And then suddenly when, when things didn't, when it didn't work, this turned out as sort of a manipulative thing. When it didn't work, the kid would just instantly flip and be fine. But I would be a catastrophe because I had met her emotionally. So to learn that not to do that was like this huge thing. Yeah, it's almost like there's a childhood search for an adversary that we can either become for them or not. But yeah. Any any words of wisdom on how to not go there consistently? Because that's a that's a hard one. Um, it is hard. Sometimes the best thing to do is is to walk away, to know that it is actually fine to walk away from an upset, screaming, hysterical kid. Um, you know, uh, if you don't have it in you to put your arms around that kid and 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 be emotionally stable for them, the better thing would is to leave. Um, and also to have decided to have said to yourself, what, you know. It, it'll happen and then you you meet the you know and it goes wrong and to sort of sit down afterwards and think through okay i'm not going to respond to because our kids do this in patterns it's not like these things come out of the blue for the most part you can predict them so just to have sat down and said when such and such happens i'm not gonna i'm just not going there yeah. um and for me just that's why it's a mantra i don't have to go in there i don't have to go in there and that is not to say that sometimes i don't go in there you know, or the, and this is one, there are not, most of these things my partner and I don't say to each other, like, you know, you gotta let your partner do what they do and you do what you do. And that's, that's a much better road to happiness than trying to change them. But this is one where we will gently put a hand and we've talked because we've talked about it. This is like a collective family plan. We even, we even remind the kids not to go in there with each other. You know, so this is like a, a collective family plan. We don't have to go in there. You let so-and-so do that. And uh, so this is like one of the only ones where we will sort of put a hand on a shoulder and say, don't, just, <laughs> don't go there. I think that I think that links really well with another one I'd like to ask you about, which is you can be happy when your children aren't. And a, actually a quote from the book, if I may, which I, I absolutely loved, and it was it was like a light bulb moment for me, KJ, was, you know, give your child the distance she needs to experience her own emotions without a sense of being responsible for yours. Yeah. So this, you know, wanting to be there, wanting to show empathy for the hurts or whatever it is, I never really thought that I might be putting more of a, a responsibility on my kids to be responsible then for the hurt I'm showing. Yeah, this is a funny one because there's another saying which I don't like, which is you can only be as happy as uh, you can only be as happy as your unhappiest child, mm. and that should not be true. Um, our kids do not want to be responsible for our, our happiness, and they don't need that kind of burden. So, um, I like to to go at this with sort of. An example. I mean, we want to be empathetic, like you said, and sympathetic, but you can do that without taking on the entire emotion of the experience. So if your kid doesn't get invited to the birthday party or your kid doesn't make the team and those, I mean, that it, it is kind of upsetting as a parent because your, your kid is hurting and also that, you know, they're not, things aren't going well for them. You thought they were making friends and they're not, or you thought they were better at the sport that you used to play and they're not. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff wrapped up in this for us as parents. So it's easy to have like, you know, an equivalent emotional response to what they have. And then the kid is sort of left with, 
oh, wow, I thought this was just a birthday party, but apparently it actually really is a big deal. Um, or, whoa, when I don't make the team, my dad gets really upset. So maybe next time I just won't try out. Mm. Or, you know, next time I feel like this, I'm not even going to tell you. Because the it seems like our kids are more than happy to make us upset, but really they don't actually like to see us unhappy. So, you know, you're, I mean, the way to, another way to think about this is to actually think about it from the perspective of yourself as an adult child, which we all, all are. If I'm in the middle of a painful divorce, the last thing I need is my mother to fall apart. Right. But that happens. I mean, all of us recognize that, you know, if you call your dad and you say, I just lost my job and your dad immediately, you know, loses his mind and gets angry with you and gets worried about you. This is not helpful. So, you know, we got we to gotta start that young. It's great for our kids to see that we are separate emotional people um, that, you know, we can be there as rocks for them when they need, like, emotional support without, you know, adding to whatever distress they're in. Yeah. No, I really like that. It's, it's a very powerful mantra to continue to tell ourselves. Well... KJ, there's there's those mantras and more and a lot more to dig into in the book. And I encourage everybody that's listening out there to go pick it up and, and give it a read. Um, where would you direct folks if they want to continue to follow your work? Okay, um, so there's some fun. Uh, you can go to my website, which is kjdelantonia.com. And one fun thing you can do there is there's a quiz. And I can also give you a link and you could share it if you do show notes or anything, but there's a quiz for finding your personal parenting mantra. Um, and you'll get, you know, you can go through it and you can come up with your mantra and then it'll give you some reasons behind it. And you don't have to, it, then, then it invites you to send your email address and I'll send you all 10 mantras, but you don't even have to. You get your mantra and the explanation and um, it's just kind of a little fun thing people can do. And there's videos there about various things, all kinds of resources. And yeah, so kjdelantonia.com or howtobeahappierparent.com takes you to the same place. Yeah. And I, and I took your mantra quiz once and I think it told me, um, I think it told me you do you or something. I, it was, <laughs> it was one of those mantra. It was really cool, really neat. So we'll definitely link that in our show notes. We'll put a link to the book, um, your Twitter handle, if that's okay. KJ Delantonia. Well, thanks so much for your time today, KJ. Thank really, you. Really this was really it. fun. Take care. That was my conversation with KJ Delantonia. Zach, what's one thing that stuck out to you? Well, I got to say, um, immediately as I'm listening to KJ talk through some of those mantras, I have uh, two young sons at home now, myself, a two-year-old, and nine month old at the moment. And um, just hearing her share specifically the you don't have to go in there. That's the mantra. You don't have to go in there. And she starts to articulate um, the tantrums and kind of the emotional state of the kid. And you just, you don't have to be in that emotional state with them. It's, it's impactful to me um, in my own parenting, but the immediate connection as well to teaching um, and especially when I was a young teacher, feeling that, you know, I'm drawn in emotionally when there's conflict within a student or between students or especially student to teacher. Um, 
but as a teacher, you know, I don't, I don't have to enter into that emotional state with the student to still effectively empathize and relate to the student, and especially to bring the student back to a place where we can you know, get back to the learning. Yeah, it was around that mantra that really hit me too, Zach. Um, when she talks about matching the emotion of, of the, the child or the student in this case, and running the risk of then that student feeling the burden of managing my emotions, that really hit me both as a parent and, and as an educator that sometimes we think it's a gift for us to match that emotion, especially if it's sadness or, or something that they're feeling. If we can just feel it with them, then they won't feel so alone, right? But what we, what we risk then is that they now feel responsible for how I feel. And that is a burden we need not put on our children or our students. And so that one really, really hit me that, oh my gosh, their emotions are their emotions. And I should have cognitive empathy for that, understanding consequences of it, yeah. but not real emotional empathy, because that, that could lead down some roads we don't want to go down. No, definitely. And, and I just think of the situation when, when I don't enter into that emotion with a student, I provide a sense of stability in that moment. Which is what they need. That's, That's exactly what they, what they need. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're not done with the topic. So here just in a couple of days, if you're listening to this episode as we release it, um, the next episode is going to be a conversation you had with Dave Stewart Jr., who's been on the podcast before, and he's going to elaborate more thoroughly on his five key beliefs, which have a lot to do with students and what they believe about themselves and their teachers and speaks right into this idea. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm excited for listeners to listen to this episode and the next one with Dave Stewart Jr. And then I'd, I'd just love for them to reach out on Twitter, email, however, and let us know, you know what you think about not just these conversations, but the whole podcast in general. Definitely. Thanks again for listening and we hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening. If you haven't yet deduced, at CBD, we believe the best kind of professional growth comes from conversations with other professionals. So we have devoted ourselves to ensuring any educator anywhere can have that opportunity. Our virtual coaching service guarantees that. Check us out on cbdconsulting.com slash elevate edu. You can share thoughts with just an email or quick text or dive right into a conversation by phone or video chat. We look forward to hearing from you.